Howdy, it's the 21st edition of The Mental Game. I'm Sam Brief in Chicago, as always, and I got a little something different for you on today's Mental Game. We talk to a lot of athletes, I talk to a lot of athletes, you listen to me talk to a lot of athletes, coaches, doctors who work in more traditional sports, in baseball, in basketball, in volleyball, in tennis, in golf. These are great. I've made my career working in these sports. However, let's kick the risk level up a notch. Today, we'll go into base jumping. Now, if you're not familiar with base jumping, it's similar to skydiving, except you're off a fixed platform like a bridge or a mountain. And my guest today will explain it to you in great detail. His name is Matt Gerdes. And in addition to skydiving and base jumping thousands of times, he's one of the world's foremost authorities on these things. He wrote The Great Book of Bass, which was one of the first real books about base jumping. He helped found squirrel wingsuits, which is equipment that helps you base jump safely. Of course, safe comes with a little asterisk. This is one of the world's riskiest, most dangerous sports. And in Matt's words, you can only do it for so long before you know someone who dies, or you die yourself. There's a great deal of risk by base jumping, but the feeling he gets from it of fulfillment, an emotional high, an active meditation, as he says, makes it totally worth it, and he's made a career out of it. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation with Matt Gertis doing something that a lot of us, I'm not speaking for you, I'm speaking for myself and those of you who I know are listening, and I know you wouldn't do it. A lot of us wouldn't do this, ever. But Matt does it a whole lot, and boy, does he love it. So without further ado, here's Matt Gertis. I think I was a little bit lucky in the sense that I was exposed to rock climbing at a pretty young age. Um, nowadays, you, know, you go to any climbing gym, and there's a bunch of two- and three-year-olds, and they're clamoring around. But, um, you know, I'm a little bit older than those kids, and so this would have been kind of the late eighties in Southern California and sport chalet had they'd bolted, you know, the first early version of climbing olds to the back of their shop, you know, this big concrete wall in Southern California. And I saw it, I was just like, what the heck is that? That's amazing. And my parents were cool enough to let me try it. And that was kind of like the beginning of just getting absolutely hooked with mountain sports in general. It's just completely spiraled from there. Um, rock climbing, skiing, kayaking, backcountry, etc. So um, when I realized that base jumping existed and I saw a picture of it, somebody actually showed me a paper photo of Frank Gambali jumping through the steel of the Auburn bridge in California. There was not like a, a question in my mind about whether or not I wanted to do that. I instantly saw it and knew it was just a, a sure thing for me. So what was it about that photo that told you, okay, this is for me? Yeah. I mean, the idea of being able to jump off of something and fly through the air and you know, make it <laughs> was pretty irresistible. It's hard to describe why that's so attractive because I think that it's somewhat ineffable. I mean, we all think about that. I think every human dreams of flying to a certain extent or stands on the edge of something and wants to jump to a certain extent. So yeah, I mean, for me, it was, it was just obvious is the best way to put it. So when you were still getting into this and I, i'm talking the matt who does 
rock climbing, skiing, kayaking, but hasn't yet been introduced to the base jumping. What about those activities got you going? Like, what was the feeling you had while you were doing those as a kid? That's a good question. And, you know, thinking all the way back to that feeling as a kid, I I mean, the first sensation is just speed, right? Like, or a sense of, of height and exposure. That stuff is, it's so interesting. And, and I guess addictive. I mean, like thinking back to skiing as a kid, most people have experienced some sort of, you know, like in, in French, they say glisse, some sort of sliding gravity sport, a glisse sport, like skiing or snowboarding. And yeah, that sensation of moving through nature, of going fast, having wind on your face, being exposed to the elements and the outdoors, all that stuff is, it's, it's pretty universal. I mean, I get that you're probably searching for something that sets base jumpers apart mentally. And I've, over the years, I'm, I think I've become convinced that there might not be a certain something because humans are so adaptable and so many people can get used to so many different things and base jumpers come from so many different walks of life and the sport encompasses so many different personality types. I think that, you know, it's a tolerance for risk. It's an attraction to risk and, and the the willingness to adapt to, you know, the risk that's needed to experience the sensation. Absolutely. And I'm not, going in with the preconception that you are genetically different, like you're some weird animal who likes to fly and I'm just a normal guy with a brain that keeps me from doing that. I mean, it's, we're all human and we all have things we like and dislike. You know, there are foods I like that you probably dislike and vice versa. Yeah. I wish I could, I wish I could uh, identify that, whatever. Maybe there is a gene. I'm certainly not smart enough to find it. Nor am I. So before we continue with you, for my listeners who aren't really familiar with base jumping, can you describe in simple terms what a base jump looks like? So base is an acronym. It stands for building antenna span and earth. So building an antenna are pretty self-explanatory span, bridge and earth being cliff. And it's essentially the, the practice of parachuting from fixed objects, right? So anytime you jump off of something with a parachute and that something is somewhat immovable, AKA not an aircraft, it's probably considered a base jump. Take me through your first base jump. Hmm, very first base jump was from a bridge, like most people, because the bridge is kind of the safest object, you know, of the things you can jump off of. The bridge is the most forgiving. If your parachute opens facing in the wrong direction, in other words, facing the object, there's nothing to hit really at a bridge, right? You've got clear air behind you. So most people like to find a bridge that has clear air below it, you know, not a lot of really complicated structure, a nice deck to exit from, and then hopefully a pretty open and obstacle-free landing area in short gliding distance from where you would open. And luckily for us in the United States, we have the Prine Bridge in Idaho in Twin Falls, which is legal to jump from. So all day, every day of the year, you can jump from that bridge legally without having to worry about talking to the police. And it's got a nice open landing area below. It's about 500 feet high. And it's kind of become one of the most popular places in the world to learn to base jump. And that's where I did my first jump. How old were you? Uh, let's see. 24, 25. So you were an adult. 
that being said, did you talk to your family before getting into base jumping? And if so, what'd they say? I don't think I mentioned it actually before the event. And Smart man. Yeah, by that time, my parents were pretty used to it. I think, uh, you know, once I showed my mom a video of me kayaking off of a 30-foot waterfall in Southern Washington State, and she said, mm, that looks fun. So I think that when I said that I was base jumping, they were like, cool. That's incredible to compare it to what I think my mother's reaction would be if I showed her that video with me doing it. <laughs> I don't think it would just be, that looks fun. But I really respect that attitude from your parents of just like, all right, you like this, go, go do it. I think by the time I was in my mid-20s, they are more or less over-worrying. I'm sure they still worried to a certain extent, but you know, by then they were pretty callous. Describe the level of safety. The level of safety in terms of like essentially how dangerous is it that is a pretty common question i'd say it's very dangerous you know like it's relatively common to see an article or a blog post or some you know academic study citing the cautious nature and analytical nature and you know calculating nature of base jumpers and you know i haven't really dug into it in the way that some people have with PhD theses or whatever. But I have to say that anecdotally over the years, having spent a lot of time with a lot of base jumpers and communicated with a wide variety of them, I'm not convinced that base jumpers are on average more careful, more analytical, or more cautious than normal people. In fact, I think that we are pretty much inherently attracted to risk and drama for that matter. Because base jumping is risk and drama. It's more or less a certainty that if you base jump for any length of time, you're going to witness one of your good friends dying. You're going to lose friends. Maybe you won't be there to see it happen, but you'll know someone who dies. And it won't take long. It might take a few weeks. It might take a few years. But in the grand scheme of things, it won't be long before you experience a relatively close level of tragedy because it is a horrendously dangerous sport. It's probably the most dangerous sport or the most dangerous thing that could be considered a sport statistically. So I don't think there's really anything safe about it. I think that it can be practiced somewhat safely. You, know, you can't, can't see me making the air quotes symbol, but you know it can be practiced somewhat safely and cautiously, but it is horrendously dangerous and inherently very high risk. So yeah, I would say that it's one of the most dangerous things you can possibly do repeatedly and consider it a somewhat normal activity. Why do you still consider it a normal activity in spite of all the danger? It's a good question. I guess that normal is somewhat subjective, but you know, it's something that has moved past being a stunt, right? You know, it's not something that one or two people do one or two dimes for a show. It's, it's something that has evolved into a minor industry with companies that manufacture equipment with, you know, groups of people that do it as their kind of number one thing in life. It happens all over the world and, you know, in a bunch of different countries. And I think that it's definitely fair to call it a sport. That's how I refer to it. So yeah, it's evolving. It's progressing. It's created a, a really cool global community. And yeah, not just a stunt anymore. So Matt, what do you say to people 
who come to you and they say, Matt, what you're doing is stupid. Why are you risking your life constantly just to jump in the air? That's like walking in the middle of the highway and trying to avoid getting run over. You know, why the hell are you doing this with your life, Matt? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's there's a risk reward calculation for sure. And the why is difficult to answer. It's you've ima- you can imagine flying, right? Like you've had a flying dream, you can sort of picture what it would be like. To I've fly done a skydiving simulator too. Yeah, cool. Indoor skydiving or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, I have to say, even cooler than you imagine. (laughs) It's deeply fulfilling in the sense that it's difficult, it's high risk. And when you land safely, that feels like an exhilarating accomplishment. And dude, I just, you know, in a word, it's fun. It's really incredibly fun. It's probably the most fun thing that I've experienced. So then it just comes down to your priorities. You know, like what, how much fun do you want to have? How important is it to you to have that level of fun, to have that intense of a life experience? And what are you willing to risk for that? Everything. For a lot of people, I guess the answer is yes. There's a difference between doing something gratifying and doing something fulfilling, right? Gratifying is, okay, I've got a task to do today. I finish it. Feels good to get it done. Go on with my day. Fulfilling is something that literally it's in the word. It fills you up and I can hear in your voice, you get filled up by base jumping. Definitely. I mean, and again, base jumping is a little bit more in my past nowadays and skydiving for me fills that for sure. I mean, the sensation of flying through the air, 150 miles an hour, you know, fingertip distance from your friends in a group carving around clouds is pretty difficult to describe yeah it's amazing it's it's really really wonderful and we feel constantly lucky to be able to do it so during a skydive what do you feel i want to start in your body what sort of bodily sensations do you have physically it is not super demanding i have to say it's kind of a lay down sport we're just kind of laying in our wingsuits cruising through the air I would say that, um, you know, relax is probably the most overused word in skydive coaching. So you don't have to be tense. You can kind of just lay there. And it's pretty windy, as you can imagine. (laughs) Um, It's probably the windiest thing you can do. It could be. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, And you get a lot of satisfaction out of seeing your friends in the air next to you, right? If you want a solo skydive, it's fun and it's exhilarating and you experience everything. But when your friends across from you and you're seeing what they're experiencing, which is what you're experiencing, it just adds this really intense visual aspect to it. So that's why jumping with friends is, is so, so freaking awesome. Like just being able to not only feel it yourself, but maneuver your body to be next to your friends and watch them experiencing the same thing. It just really blows it all up. So that's kind of the best thing for me is flying through the air with friends. And yeah, again, I apologize that everything's so difficult to explain. These things often are. So (laughs) bear with me. I think part of the reason it's difficult is because, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you're not 
consciously thinking very much while you're in the air, right? You're just feeling and experiencing. You're not thinking, okay, this is what I have to do. This is where I am. This is what I'm having for lunch today. Like you're just being. Yes. Well put. A lot of people have referred to it as a form of active meditation, right? Where for a period of time, for the duration of the experience, you're not really thinking about anything at all, which is the way you're supposed to meditate. At least that's how I understand it. I've tried and that shit's hard. It's a lot harder than jumping off of something. So that is part of the fulfillment, right? That could be part of that gratification or the fulfilling feeling that we get when we land is, is that mental dump, that blankness, that nothing, that you know, period of focus, of the focus that's so intense that it kind of takes everything out of it, takes everything else out of the way and allows you to kind of live in the moment, even if it's just for a few seconds or a minute. So I meditate a few times a week. It is hard. I, I struggle with calming my mind down. That being said, on the surface, it feels a lot easier for me than jumping off something. You yeah. said shit's hard. Jumping's way easier. Can you expand on that? I would say that in the grand scheme of things, flying a wingsuit, base jumping, and skydiving are some of the easiest high risk, quote unquote, extreme sports that you can do. They have some of the lowest barriers to entry. It really takes an incredibly small amount of effort to get to the point where you can fly a wingsuit or where you can jump off of something with a parachute. It's just a little bit of skydive training. It's nothing like big wave surfing or big mountain skiing where there's years of practice and physical training that need to form this foundation or background for you to get to the point where that stuff's actually really fun. It's pretty easy to imagine what would happen if somebody with no surfing experience paddled out into the biggest waves that you can find. You'd probably drown. But it doesn't take very much skydiving experience to get to the point where you can jump off of a fixed object, open your parachute, and land safely. It's incredibly easy. So being able to get to that point of active meditation via those sports requires way less training than meditating does in my experience, right? Like I've been trying to meditate for many, many years. And for me to have a full 45 seconds or a minute of unbroken high quality meditation requires an incredible amount of effort. I don't know if I've ever actually done that, right? But I have been able to take that shortcut a thousand times more, more base jumping and skydiving, thousands of times, literally. So yeah, I would say that it's cheating in the sense of meditating. And it's much more accessible to get to that level. It's maybe a little bit like taking a hallucinogen. It's a huge and awesome shortcut. When you land, do you feel high? High might not be the right word. I think happy would be more accurate. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people would probably describe it as buzzing, you know, something similar. And what do you feel right before you jump? And I'm aware that this maybe has evolved through yes. your time doing it? I mean, yeah. now you've done over a thousand jumps. Right. I mean, it's definitely evolved from sheer terror to, you know, a slight amount of performance anxiety. And it's, it's always depending on, you know, what type of jump it's about to be. Is it something that's totally new? You know, that definitely pushes you more towards the you know, intense anxiety into the spectrum. Is it something that you've already done a couple thousand times? That's definitely more on just the performance anxiety side of the spectrum. So yeah, it, it depends. But in the beginning, I would say that most people are legitimately scared, for sure. Rightfully so. So I've never been skydiving. 
I plan on it. I don't plan on making a career out of it, but I plan on doing it. I was actually talking maybe two, three weeks ago with my girlfriend. And she was like, no, I'm never doing that. You go find a friend to do it with. I'm never doing that. What would you say to her? (laughs) I mean, I I get that you're not asking me for relationship advice, but I would definitely let that one (laughs) Will you be our couple's therapist, please? I would not try very hard to convince her. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that you, you feel attracted to or not. And I definitely believe that humans can adapt to anything that if she put her mind to it, she could become an, a very successful skydiver and have a lot of fun with it. But it's one of those things where I really believe you also, you got to want it, you know, if, and if you don't, if you're not sure, it really might not be something that's worth the risk that's worth spending the time on. That's worth such a huge commitment because it really does take a lot to do it well and to do it safely. You've used the word risk a lot because this is a sport that carries a tremendous deal of risk. That concept of risk is really fascinating to me because if I go walk outside of my apartment right now, I'm taking a risk. I'm taking a risk that I could get hit by a car. If I get behind the wheel of my own car, I'm upping my risk by you know, hundreds of percentage points. I'm taking a risk of getting COVID, right? There's all these risks out there. Yeah. So for everything you do, there's a certain level of risk. So how has this you know, career that you've made out of and this, this joy that you get out of base jumping and skydiving and everything you do, how has it changed your perception of risk? It turns the volume down on a lot of other things, for sure. I'm much less likely than a lot of people to be terrified by some of those things you described. Um. Yeah, another, it's another part of the sport that's difficult to accurately explain, I think. But the volume knob is kind of the best way, maybe, in my mind. Once you've accomplished things that require risking your life, that require a certain amount of dedication and commitment to reach a level that gets you to the point where you can do it a few thousand times without injury, in my case, ever, I think that, yeah, it gives you confidence. It puts a lot of other risky things in perspective and helps you understand that life is fragile, that we are all at risk, but certain things are definitely more intense than others. So, yeah, when, for instance, to use COVID as an example, the only part of COVID that I'm really worried about is giving it to somebody else, right? Like I'm, I'm precautious. I take precautions with COVID simply to protect others. Like the last thing I want is to be to pass it on to somebody else. I'm not really worried about getting it myself because I understand that relatively speaking, I'm not at high risk. So yeah, it, I think it's easier to be less scared of life in general once you've been immersed in something like base jumping or skydiving. Yeah, I don't get the sense that if I'm on a plane next week and you're next to me. You're not going to be that guy who's hyperventilating into the barf bag. You know, oh, I have such a fear of flying. That's not you. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Matt, you've done thousands of jumps. What's the best one? Oof, there is definitely no single best one, but um, there's some spots that definitely have stuck out over the years. Um, you know, I was just listening to another one of my friends who did a podcast just the other day, and he he was asked the same question and he said 
Polar Sun Spire on Baffin Island. And I've also been to Baffin. It's an incredible spot. And it usually is what comes to mind first when somebody asks me about amazing locations. It's above the Arctic Circle, way up in you know northeastern Canada. Incredible place. And most of the base jumping there happens kind of in the late spring, early summer when the sea ice is still completely frozen. But it's light out. And uh, yeah, incredible place. Where have you jumped the most? What's your number one spot? I lived in the Alps for 13 years. So the vast majority of my base jumps, probably 90 plus percent were from Alpine cliffs in France, Switzerland, Italy, and a little bit in Austria. So the Alps by far is where most of my jumping has happened. What inspired you to write the great book of base? Put pen to paper and tell people about what you know. The lack of a base jumping book primarily. There's been a few books written about base jumping, but none specifically that were meant to be a reference or a guide, you know, source of reliable information for jumpers. So that was kind of the main thing, Um, you know, back in 2008, nine, when the idea was forming for me, there was only the forum, right? Like Facebook wasn't even really a thing yet. It existed clearly, but you know, skydivers and base jumpers hadn't found it as a place to gather and exchange information. There was just, um, you know, an internet forum that was just rife with terrible information and bad advice and, and all that stuff. And, we were seeing a lot of people come into the sport with no way to get reliable info, which obviously is a recipe for disaster. So, yeah, there was a clear need and it seemed like nobody else was going to do it. So might as well be me. Well, it's high stakes, right? If someone has a lack of information, they could die. Yeah. There aren't that many industries where that's true, but it certainly is here. It is. and, And I would say that, in the end, judgment's more important, you know, having good judgment, but it's hard to have good judgment without, you know, good information to make good decisions based on. So yeah, it, it comes down to information first and then good judgment. So Matt, I know your day to day, as you said, it's a lot of computer work, working with squirrel suits. When's your next jump though? Uh, next week. Yeah. We're heading South to do a little bit of testing. We've got a few products we need to finish up and in order to do that, we got to fly them. So well, you're lucky to be in a field where the testing is flying. Yeah, it, it is. It's one of the best parts of my job for sure. It's fascinating to me because you ask a little kid, what superpower do you want? Well, at least 30% of them will say, I want to fly. Well, I'm talking to you. You are a man, a human being who is made with the same genes and organs that we're all made of who flies a yeah. lot. And that's pretty cool. <laughs> it is. It's uh, yeah. I don't take it for granted. Matt, I really appreciate having you on and your time today. Thanks, Sam. Back here in the studio, a big thank you to Matt Gertis for coming on and taking us inside his mind, inside of that state of flow he gets into. It's a word we hear a lot, flow. You'll hear an athlete say, oh, I was in the flow. I was in the zone. That's what it sounds like Matt gets into, into the zone this active meditation, this amazing feeling he gets from base jumping. Again, something that I really have no interest in doing because I'm a little more risk adverse, a lot more risk adverse than he is. But I maintain I do want to skydive at some point in my life. So if you want to come with me, give me a shout. We'll go skydive and maybe we'll give Matt a shout 
when we do so. Anyway, this has been the 21st edition of The Mental Game. As always, thank you for the love and support. I'm Sam Brief, and I will talk to you next time. Adios. Mm -hmm.